situation, so I won't trip over it here. <clears throat> no guarantees, but we'll try. <clears throat> I'm going to start this morning and give you a very brief glimpse into the world of a pastor. Um, <clears throat> generally, uh, by the first week of January, our mailbox or our inbox or both starts to fill with information like this. And it says, the ultimate Easter service checklist, all right? Um, we are inundated with advertisements for things like invitations to webinars uh, that will help us plan the best Easter service ever, uh, sales brochures for direct mailers, for bulletins, for banners that are guaranteed to prompt throngs of people to attend your Easter service. Um, Lots and lots of information offering tips and outlines and sermon starter packages uh, guaranteed to provide sermons that will just leave people in awe. And you can assume that or understand that's really tempting. Um, lots and lots of stuff offering song suggestions, the latest, greatest, newest, best, golden oldie Easter songs, set lists, and graphics that are once again sure to delight the masses. And of course, this year, there was plenty, trust me, I sat through a couple of them, uh, plenty of information on crafting outstanding virtual or hybrid Easter celebrations. Perhaps you may think it bordering on blasphemous, but this year I found myself thinking, I wonder how many people hear all the Easter hype and are quietly asking themselves, what's the big deal with Easter? Think about the important questions that should flow through your mind as you begin to hear all the Easter talk. I mean, important stuff like, why at Easter time, does Reese's switch from cups to eggs? I mean, seriously, what, why? Why, I mean, what's up with the Cadbury egg? I, I, what's the deal with coloring eggs? And what do they have to do with a rabbit? And what do either of them have to do with church? Why all of a sudden, is there such pressure to go to church on a random Sunday in early spring? Recently, as I often do as part of my preparation, especially for holidays that have this crazy habit of coming around every year, I, I go back to my files and I, you know, what have I done with Easter in the past? And as I looked through my Easter file, which Again, it's Easter, so it's one of the thickest ones. Um, I realized that on several occasions um, over the years, I started my Easter message. And just so you know, I understand it's not Easter today. Some of you may be confused. But, uh, but, I, but I noticed that on several occasions, and, and again, I try not to repeat stories because people forget everything else I say, but if you tell a funny story, people remember it, all right? Uh, so I try not to repeat, but, but I realize on several occasions over the past, I started my Easter service or Easter message with a story that describes how 
upon questioning some of his Sunday school students, a pastor discovered that many of the students had Easter confused with a number of other holidays. Somehow it was connected to some of the traditions of Christmas. Some of the kids even had it connected to Groundhog's Day. And I mean, it, it was just, just a mess. And, and I told that story several times. And one year, as I looked at my notes, apparently I was just feeling particularly inspired. And we actually had some of our young people in the church act out that story like a skit or a vignette. And each year following the story, we all shared a laugh. And then we moved on with our Easter celebration. Now, perhaps it's the wisdom of age. Perhaps it's just a little perspective. But I no longer find it amusing when there's confusion surrounding the fundamentals of our faith. In that same file, going back to the dark ages of 2010, I found a survey that in 2010 indicated that 60% of American adults did not have a clear understanding of the meaning behind Easter. And I'm not being critical. If people don't understand, they don't understand, and that's okay. But I thought, maybe that merits some attention. I found myself wondering how many people have shown up at our church over the years who were quietly wondering, what's the big deal? Perhaps they were invited by friends or family and invited and and promised that it would just be an experience that would rock their world, so they came. But are people wondering, what's the big deal? And I found myself wondering, did they have a clue when they left? I wonder, have I done enough? Have we done enough to fill in the gaps that may exist in your understanding? Have I equipped you to respond effectively if someone were to ask you, what's the big deal? If somebody in your world said, I understand you want me to go to church on Easter, but what's the big deal? How would you respond? I wonder if some of us become so familiar with the story that we are desensitized to its significance. Is it still a big deal to us? And is it a big deal for the right reasons? And that's some of what I want you to begin to process today. And in the next several weeks, when I come back to this theme of what's the big deal, we'll look at the traditional Palm Sunday story. We'll look at the traditional Easter Sunday story. We'll look at what happens after Easter. I mean, obviously, we know we pack stuff up on and move to the next holiday, but but what about our spiritual journey when Easter's over? And I, and I just want to make it clear, lest there be any uncertainty, I think Easter's a big deal. I'm not mocking that. I'm not minimizing that. I simply today want to quickly review some of the backstory that makes it such a pivotal point in human history. And just... Trust me, we're talking Bible history at mock speed, all right? 
We're not going to unpack it all in every minute detail, but I just want to go back in time a little bit to help us understand maybe a little bit about what the big deal is. And again, I want to establish the fact right up front. We sang the song earlier, and great choice, Greg. I appreciate the, the song choice. I believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. And the overview I'm going to provide is grounded in that belief. The Bible and its truth is what makes Easter a big deal. All right? Uh, That's just where we're at. So what's the big deal? I'm going to start with a, a bit of historical perspective. And again, trust me, we're going to scoot quick, but I know you can hang with me because I do this to you a lot. So what's the big deal? To me, in order to grasp the big deal, you got to start at the beginning, all right? So, and in the beginning, I mean the beginning, all right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So again, Easter's a big deal because we go back to the beginning and our belief that in the beginning, God created it all. It all started with him, and trust me, I know the science, I hear all the discussion, creation, evolution, I hear all that, but it comes down to, I make a choice to believe that God created everything. Genesis 1-1. And then we fast forward just a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So Genesis 1, God created the world. God created man and he created woman. And he set this in motion. And that's the beginning of Easter being a big deal. We'll go forward just a little bit to Genesis chapter 2. And trust me, I know how many chapters there are in the Bible. We're not going to go to all of them. All right? I know some of you are fixing to order pizza, all right, but it's not going to be necessary, but I will eat pizza later if you want. Um, So Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in, excuse me, in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing, good to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Continuing in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but if but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam and his life and wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I'm going to breathe here for just a moment, all right? So here's the deal. God created the world. He created Adam and Eve, and he set Adam and Eve. I mean, if you if you understand what I just read very, very quickly, Adam and Eve were living in paradise. They were living in a perfect environment. Everything they needed was provided for them. Everything was available to them. 
They were naked and felt no shame. And that's not about nakedness. That's about they were in a perfectly comfortable and secure place. And God said what? It's all yours except for one thing. You got it all. Just don't do this. How's that work with your kids? All right. I'm just saying. You can do anything you want, but just don't do this one thing. Where does their radar lock in? All right. Even if you never heard the story before, you understand where this is going. All right. They eat from the tree they're not supposed to eat. All right. That's the deal. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree. Again, you know the story. It's a great message. I could tell it another time. But Adam tried to blame Eve. And when that didn't work, he tried to blame God. And God's not having it. Again, you ever have that with your kids? Uh, she made me do it, you know. It was her right. No, you made the choice. You bear the consequences. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. In other words, you're no longer living in paradise because you made a stupid, selfish choice. There are consequences for your choices. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You, you're not going to live in paradise. You're just not going to do it. And to make sure, you're not ever coming back. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flashing and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You blew it, dude. You can't come back. Just in case you're tempted, I'm going to put a flaming sword to discourage you. It ain't happening. So, all right, so that's the deal. Paradise, poor choice, consequences, you can't come back. You're just not welcome here anymore. Now, again, this is this is God's creation. He didn't want that for them. He wanted paradise for them. That's why he put them in paradise. But he wanted them to have a choice. And sometimes when we have choices, we make the wrong choices. And when we make the wrong choices, there are consequences. What I read earlier, it said, surely you will die. It was obviously not an immediate instantaneous physical death, but it was an immediate spiritual death. You're not welcome here anymore. Obviously, where do you go from there? It's just going to get worse. And we understand that over the next few chapters, they populate the earth, but people are still messed up and making poor choices. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Oh, my goodness. From paradise, naked and no shame, everything you could ever want except for one thing, to every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart 
was only evil all the time. Gosh. Verse 6, Genesis chapter 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. I'm just sorry I even started this. I'm grieved in my heart. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe them, wipe the the face of the earth. Excuse me. I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I made it. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. I'm done with them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So again, Adam and Eve's choice, populate the earth just steadily downhill to the point that God's ready to hit reset and reboot. We're just done. But there's Noah. Maybe, just maybe, there's a chance they'll get it. And so again, many of you know the story. God says, you know what? Okay, we got Noah and we got his small family. Everybody else is a mess. And so sends the flood, literally wipes the face of the earth. Everything except for the creatures that Noah took with him on the, on the boat and Noah's family. And God does that reset. Everything else, everything else is wiped out. Fast forward, chapter 9, the flood's over. God says to Noah, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. In other words, let's start over and let's get it right this time. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Now I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So again, we're gonna, we're gonna refresh. We're gonna try this again. And I've made a covenant with you. We're gonna have a special relationship moving forward. And Noah and his sons do just that. They set out and they begin to repopulate the earth. We fast forward to Genesis chapter 12. The nations are growing. There's more people. There's increasing variations and such. And God decides, out of all the people on the earth, he wants a special relationship with some of them. And it says, the Lord God, Genesis chapter 12, the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God says, we've restarted. Moses and his sons and their descendants have repopulated the earth. Out of that, I'm going to pick this man, Abram. And from Abram, I'm going to create a group of people with whom I will have a special relationship. And that's where we journey forward from Genesis through the Exodus And now God has this group of people, his chosen people, the Israelites. And just from Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
God says to these chosen people, the descendants of Abram, who becomes Abraham, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. In other words, we've got a connection here. You are special to me. I desire a close, personal relationship with you. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were, the more, were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Just linger on that a moment. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Again, started with this dynamic covenant of love with Abram, excuse me, with Adam and Eve, renews it with Noah, renews it with Abram, and now has a vision moving forward that there will be people in this covenant of love to a thousand generations who love him and walk in obedience with him. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face Excuse me, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, the decrees, and the laws I give you today. So that's a little bit of historical perspective. God desires a relationship with people with whom he chooses to share his love and invite into his life. I shared from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I don't know if you can see in my Bible. I'll do it here. So that last verse, let me back up here. That last verse says, Therefore, take care to follow the commands and decrees and laws I give you today. If you were to take your Bible and you were to take Deuteronomy and you were to take Matthew, you would have this. What that represents is, in my Bible, a little over a thousand pages. It represents years and years and years and years of God's people trying to do just that trying to keep his commands and his decrees and his laws and time after time failing miserably. That's the historical perspective. That's why Easter's a big deal. God desires a relationship with his creation and he has expectations for that creation. And in our humanity, we just can't seem to consistently get it right. What's the big deal? A little personal perspective. 
God loves us as his creation. And just like all throughout history, we make choices that create separation between us and him. Sometimes they're really big choices. Sometimes they're not quite so big choices. But in this period between Deuteronomy and the New Testament, God came to realize that there needed to be a divine solution for the human condition. He is holy and he is righteous and there are consequences when we make choices that are inconsistent with his standards. But try as we might in our own strength, all throughout history, men and women were unable to get it right. And God said, I've got to fix this. And that fix is why Easter's a big deal. Some of you will recognize these verses. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like Adam and Eve, just like in Noah's day, just like all throughout human history, there has been this pattern of just not quite getting there. Romans 6.23 says there are consequences. For the wages of sin, a choice that is inconsistent with God's standard. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's why Easter's a big deal. Because he chooses to offer us a gift Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, just as a reminder. Holy, righteous God. Human individuals making choices inconsistent with his standards. That we just can't overcome in our own and there are consequences for sinful choices and it's separation from God and God said somebody's got to pay for this somebody's got to pay for this and his plan his Easter plan was that while we were still separated from him Jesus would pay the penalty because there is a severe penalty for living in defiance of God. Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing that can separate us from his love is our refusal to understand that Easter is a big deal 
because it means that God sent his son to pay the penalty for my sin so that I'd be welcomed back into paradise. And he offers that same thing to each and every person on the face of the earth. They simply have to say, yep, I want in. What's the big deal? Since the beginning of creation, God has loved us. And he has gone to incredible lengths to help us live within the fullness of an unhindered relationship with him. Just understand, when Adam and Eve had to leave the garden, God did not love them any less. If anything, he loved them more. And his heart broke because of their defiance. And the same is true for us. When we're separated from him, he wants us back. But he will not compromise. That's why Jesus died, and that's why Easter's a big deal. Since we have been separated from him by our human nature, we can never, ever earn or deserve that relationship. As Romans 6.23 said, it is a gift And it always will be. God took the extraordinary step of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty. We we like to say pay the penalty for our sin. But he paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. It is personal. In order to pave the way for us to enter into what I'm very fond of saying is a real personal life-changing relationship with the creator of the universe and our heavenly father. Friends, I know, I know I've said this a lot, and I know you were already there ahead of me. Friends, it is not about candy. It is not about eggs. It is not about bunnies. It is not about clothes. It is not about family dinners. It is not even about going to church. Easter's a big deal because it is about a loving father reaching out to his messed up children and saying, come home and rest in my love today and for the rest of eternity. That's a big deal. And that's why we celebrate Easter. Would you bow your heads with me? As you just quiet yourself and think for a moment. It's an old story, but it continues to change lives today. And the thing about that gift that God offers us, the thing about him saying, come on home. I'm going to pay the penalty so you can come home. I've already paid the penalty so you can come home. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you're here today and you want to say, you know what, Father, I want to come home. I want to embrace 
and be held in your loving arms and be invited to walk with you through the challenges of this world and prepared to enter into eternity and paradise with you. If you want to say yes to his offer of a restored relationship with the creator of the universe, would you just look up and make eye contact with me as your way of saying, you know what? I've never said this before, but I want that. Okay. All right. Okay. Anybody else? Father, you know what's going on in hearts. You know the hearts that are being stirred right now. You know that there are hearts here who know that they're in relationship with you and, and they're just redoubling their determination to lean fully in to the gift that you have for them. For others, you know that you're shoring up their belief and, and ideally they're a little bit better prepared should someone say, what's the big deal? And Father, hopefully for all of us, we are a little bit more motivated to lean into the fact that Easter is a big deal. Not the celebration, not the eggs, not the church service, but Easter's a big deal because the God of the universe made a sacrificial commitment so that we could enjoy and live in his love. And so, Father, for those who made a decision right now to connect with you in a way that's real personal and life-changing, for those who are making a determination to, to renew that commitment, and for those who are still wondering, what's the big deal? I pray that you would meet each and every one of us right where we're at. And you would help us to continue to lean into your Father's heart that invites us to just understand a little bit more today than we did yesterday. And as we hear about Easter over the next several weeks, we'll increasingly say, oh yeah, that's what it's about. And that's why I'm celebrating. I ask these things in the presence and the power of your Son, and our Savior who paved the way for us to come home and rest in your love. I thank you, Father. Amen. Worship team.